0: And we pray this tonight in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you was here this morning, we talked about this actually a few weeks ago, but we came back this morning into this chapter, and we talked about the title of the sermon is, When Your Heart is in the Right Place, But Your Actions Are All Wrong. Remember, we talked about that, how David really wanted to honor God, but he did it all wrong. He, he tried to skip a few steps and go right from where he was at to where he wanted to be at in the blessings. And some of the steps that he left out were vitally important and he was not blessed because of it, even cost a guy named Uzzah his life because he reached out and touched the Ark of the Covenant because David chose to transport it in a cart. We may look at that a little bit again tonight. I don't want this to be redundant, but I am going to kind of maybe overlap a little bit in some of the things that I talked about this morning. We may visit those just a little bit just to kind of bring our points out tonight. But here's what we want to look at is it. Uh, looking at the scripture that we looked at this morning, David did learn from his mistakes. And if there's anything that we want to take away from this tonight is that we learn from our mistakes, okay? When we do sin, we do mess up, and we fail God, he will forgive us if we learn from those mistakes, get forgiveness, and move on. Don't stay in the mess that we were in. And that's what David did. So I got three points we'll look at tonight. First off, let's look at the disobedience that caused David to miss the blessings of God. Now... If you look here in verse 12, well, I'll tell you what, back up into verse 11. Let let me just read that to you so you get an idea of where we're going. It says, The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. It says, And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. So, more or less, what we're going to look at here in just a second is this, is that David transported the ark the wrong way. We talked about that this morning. And then once Uzzah died, David realized he had messed up. He took the ark and he passed it off onto somebody else. It was almost kind of like, here, you take it. I don't want it because he saw how God was because and it was all David's fault. But he also recognizes here in verse 12 that when he came to King David, they told him, they said, look, the Lord has blessed the house of Obed-Edom and all that belongs to him because of the ark of God. He'd been there for three months. For three months, Obed-Edom had been blessed. Well, if he was being blessed, that means for three months, David probably had not been blessed. And what I mean by that is David was wallowing in, the, in his sin, in his disobedience, in his, in his thoughts of failure. And we'll look at that a little bit more in detail in just a moment. You'll understand where I'm coming from. Because of what had happened there was more than likely grief in the heart and life of David. You ever done anything that you knew you shouldn't have done and you just pleased God? Amen. We've got to all raise our hand to that. And when we did, even when we got forgiveness of it, there was still that remorse that hung around for a while. There was that brokenheartedness. There was that grief. And I believe in all of my heart that when we look here, based on what I'm reading in Scripture, because verse 8 tells us, we read this this morning, Again, I'm I'm overlapping a little bit, but we have to do that to kind of tie it all together. When Uzzah lost his life, remember he was on the back of a cart, the oxen stumbles, the the Ark of the Covenant more than likely wobbled. Uzzah did nothing more than any of us would have done, reached out to steady it, just so it wouldn't fall out of the cart. But because David was doing it wrong, Uzzah shouldn't have touched it. But that again, that goes against David. David should have known better. Uzzah reaches out, touches it. He loses his life. And because God strikes him dead, the Bible tells us in verse 8 that David became angry at God. But he also tells us in verse 9 that David became afraid of God. Now, the angry part was unjustified. The afraid part... That was justified. David should have been afraid because he was living in disobedience. Listen, anytime you and I are not in step with God, we should be afraid, honestly. Our our sins should make us aware of the fact that we are not in step with God. That's not a good place for us to be as Christians. But David became afraid. And then in verse 10, as I said a while ago, he pawned the Ark of the Covenant off onto someone else. And you can't help but get the idea. And this is where David, again, this is what sin does. Sin escalates. It's also like a snowball going downhill. It will get bigger. In the process of David's sin, instead of dealing with God, he passed the Ark of the Covenant off onto somebody else. Almost kind of like, if God's going to strike anybody dead, it'll be Obed-Edom, not me. That's kind of how David was thinking. But he passes it off, but it, doesn't, it, it, it actually serves the opposite. Obed-Edom there... I feel like I've said that name like 20,000 times since I've started this sermon, Obed-Edom. Anybody ever feel that way Obed-Edom? He's like, yeah, over and over and over. But anyway, it's a tough name to say. But he gets blessed. Okay, now all of a sudden David's looking and going, okay, hold on a second. I don't like the fact that he's being blessed and I'm not. And so we see in a moment that David goes and wants to get the Ark of the Covenant. But let's look here just for a second. David was afraid. He was angry. And here's what I think probably was going on in David's life. This is what we deal with when we are disobedient. The Bible doesn't tell me this. I don't find anywhere in Scripture any of this. But what I've done is took what I read about David and I applied Vance's life to it. And I believe you could do the same tonight. I believe David probably lost sleep over what he had done. Not only because, see, here's the deal. He probably laid in bed there in the palace and said, man, a guy lost his life because of me. I know better than that. And even though he might have been at first angry with God, he had no right to be angry with God. I bet there was tears that followed those sleepless nights. I bet there was a sense of brokenness. When we're disobedient to God, innocent innocent people get hurt. It's not just David and his family that weren't being blessed. There was a man named Uzzah whose family was heartbroken because they had lost a loved one. So we need to realize that our sin tonight doesn't just affect us, it affects other people as well. It doesn't. We always think sometimes when we dabble in sin, well, it's a personal sin, it's a private sin, it ain't hurting anybody, that's a lie. That's a lie straight out of the pits of hell because the devil will tell you you're not hurting anybody, but you are hurting somebody. You're hurting you, you're hurting the name of God, and you will hurt your family eventually if you keep dabbling in that sin. I bet it made David miserable, But I believe he was probably experiencing all these things due to his disobedience. I know this because I have done things in my life, and you have as well, where we're not exactly in step with God. And when I was not in step with God, I experienced every one of these things. Broken heartedness, loss of sleep, tears. Uh, It affected other people around me. And so it is important. It is important that we live a life of obedience to God. And listen... God cares about His people being obedient. Don't don't let anybody tell you otherwise. Don't let the devil fool you into thinking that you can just do whatever you want to and still serve God. It doesn't work that way. If you're going to be a Christian, you've got to be in step with God. You have to make sure that you're trying to live obedient. He cares. God cares about holiness and obedience, and we should as well. What did Peter write over there? He said, because God is holy, we should be holy. We should strive to be holy. Yes, we're going to mess up, but that's no excuse not to strive to be holy. Charles Swindoll said this. He said, that's the whole point here in this passage. He said, when we begin to care about the things God cares about, we become people after His heart. And only then do we begin to have real freedom and real happiness and joy. Only when we start to care about the things that God cares about will we be living the life that we should live. Now you're to know, notice point two here. The deception, the deception of David's heart to think that God would bless his mess. And that's a wordy wordy point, but that's how I wrote it up. The deception of David's heart to think that God would bless his mess. And I wrote it up that way for this reason. Have you ever thought that God would just bless your mess? Now, we wouldn't come, if we were to just go around the room tonight and poll everybody, we would all say, well, no. But we live like it sometimes, don't we? Sometimes we live our lives while we think God's just going to bless the mess that we have going on in our life. And again, I want to go back and look at the cart just for a moment. Remember this morning in verse 3, we said, So they set the ark of of God on a new cart and brought it out of the house of Abinadab. I touched on this this morning. I want to touch on it one more time just for a second because there's a point I want to make out of it. And that is this. I, I chose the word deception here because I believe sometimes we deceive ourselves in the department of obedience to God and thinking that we are, in fact, being obedient. But listen, there is no in-between. Either we are being obedient to God or we're not being obedient to God. There's either obedience or disobedience. There really is no gray area when it comes to walking with the Lord. And sometimes we deceive ourselves into thinking that we're uh, okay. It's kind of like the sermon I preached months ago. What do we call it? Delusional obedience. Is that what I call that sermon? Anybody remember? Nobody remembers? Well, that hurts my heart, guys. Nobody remembers my sermon or my sermon title. If I can't remember, you probably can't either. But I think I called it delusional obedience or something like that because we deceive ourselves into thinking that what we're doing is okay with God. And we're delusional if we think otherwise. If we think that what we're doing sometimes is right when we know it's not, we're deceiving ourselves. And I believe David deceived himself into thinking that, well, God would be okay. Here's what I think David was thinking. As long as I get the Ark of the Covenant back to where it should be at, God will be okay with however I get it there. But God wasn't okay with however he got it there. God, he gives specific instructions over in the book of Exodus on how the Ark of the Covenant was to be transported. David do this. I believe in all my heart that he didn't know this. Why? Because we go back over here into uh, uh, where we read at this morning, 1 Chronicles 15, we could find that. And even if David didn't know, remember what we talked about? It says that he consulted God on a lot of things except that one matter. I believe if he had stopped and said, God, I need a refresher course. How is it you want me to do this? God would have told him. He could have consulted the, the people around him and says, Now, again, go to the Levites, the ones that was entrusted. In it, and say, How do we do this? How is it that I'm supposed to get that from there to here? They would have told him. But sometimes we get a little ahead of ourselves and David just said, you know what, I believe God will be okay with however we do this just as long as we get it done. But God wasn't okay with that. And I think we deceive ourselves into thinking the same thing sometimes. As long as we get to where we're supposed to be, no matter how we get there, God will be okay with it. But no, but I want you to look here at what's going on. And, and probably as we said this morning, David was probably thinking the ark being in a cart would get there faster. But it wasn't about getting there faster. It was about getting it there correctly. But now notice this. Look at verse 5. This is, this, I didn't really bring this out this morning. I did, but I didn't. But notice verse 5 here. They've got this, the Ark of the Covenant, in the back of a cart. And as it's going along there, it says, Then David and all the house of Israel played music before the Lord on all kinds of instruments, of fir wood, on harps, on stringed instruments and on tambourines, on sistrums, and on cymbals. Basically what David is doing is this. He's transporting the Ark of the Covenant back the wrong way, but he's got musicians there playing instruments and offering songs of worship. But now think about this for a second. If he's transporting the ark the wrong way, he's living in disobedience to what God would have him to do. Is it really worship? No, it's not. Think about that for a second. Let that just wash over you for a moment, okay? Because that's how it set on me this week. As I looked at that and I thought, ugh, oh, that's pretty good. You know, that's uh. That really cuts close to the heart right there because, see, we do so many things in our lives and we call it worship. But if we're offering worship, and i put it in quotations if you want to, if we're offering worship and living in, disobe- or living in disobedience to God, then it's not really worship. Because, see, worship really is a lifestyle. See, we have a tendency to take worship. We have a tendency to, to throw it in this category of, well, he's talking about music on Sunday morning. No, I'm not talking about that. It could be that. Worship is also preaching the gospel on Sunday morning. It, it's, it could be classified in that. Everything we do here on Sunday should be worship. But then outside of this building, we've got the time that I should be spending alone with God every day. Well, that's my worship as well. It's how I live out my life. I could get up every morning and I could do a devotional. I could do the one on my phone. I could do the guidepost. I, I could do uh, whatever it is that you like to do. I could be reading a Christian book. But if I get up from that devotion and walk out of my house and go to my job and act contrary to God's will and cuss and act crazy and do whatever in the world, then what I've done that I call worship is not really worship because my life doesn't line up with what I call worship. And David here is supposedly worshiping the Lord with his music and his celebration of bringing the ark back, but he was living in disobedience the whole time. If our lives don't line up with what we say we believe and what we profess, it's nothing. And David here realizes that, that they have to go hand in hand. And so there's a lot. And I think sometimes, honestly, I think sometimes when we come into church on Sundays, and I'm not, I'm not picking on you guys by no means. I'm talking about church across the board, okay? I think across the board church, I think sometimes the reason it's like raising the dead on Sunday mornings in here with the preaching and the singing is because we hadn't done true worship throughout the week. Honestly, I believe this with all my heart, that when I worship the Lord all week long like I'm supposed to, when I come in on Sunday morning, man, this is overflow. You with me? This is overflow. Nobody has to beg me to stand up and sing. I want to sing because I've experienced God all week long. Nobody has to beg me to get up and preach. Why? I can't wait to preach. Why? Because I've experienced God all week long. But I'll also tell you the flip side of that. If there's ever a week that I don't spend time praying like I should, and I have times when I don't read my Bible like I should because I get busy, and I get so bombarded by things of life, then when I get here on Sunday morning, and I'll be honest with you, I've had some of those Sunday mornings, okay? I've had those Sunday mornings. I've had Sunday mornings when I've got up and I this is and I'm just gonna be real with you guys. I've got up on Sunday mornings sometimes and I said, God, I don't, I, I, I'm not qualified to preach this morning, which I never am. But I have some Sunday mornings when I got up and out, and this is how I feel. God, I have not spent time with you this week like I should have, and I don't feel like I should come and bring the message because I don't feel like I have spent the time with God that I should. It's not that I deliberately shun God. Sometimes life creeps in. Anybody else have that issue? Sometimes life creeps in, and you get busy. And before you know it, oh, the day has gone by. I've not prayed like I wanted to. I've not read my Bible like I wanted to. And when I get here on Sunday morning, my heart is not what it needs to be to be able to preach God's Word. Matter of fact, I even heard a preacher say this one time. Um, I don't remember where it was at now. It was on a radio program or something that I was listening to. But he was at a big church, had a lot of staff members. He said, if I ever have a week that I don't spend the quality time with God like I'm supposed to. He says, when I go get up on Sunday morning, if I don't feel like I have been what I need to be, he said, I will call one of my staff people and say, you need to preach today because I'm not where I need to be at to preach. He said, doesn't mean that I've lived a life of sin that week. It just means I have not prepared like I should have. And I, you know, and I kind of respected that a little bit. I thought that was kind of... So he told his staff member they were to always be prepared to preach God's Word. But let's look here just a little bit. Let's move on. We're almost done. So here's what we need to realize. Is before we come up here and preach on Sundays, before we come to lead the worship on Sunday and the singing, before we teach our Sunday school classes on Sundays, before we teach the Wednesday night class with the youth or children or whatever it is, we need to make sure that we're spending quality time with God as a teacher, as a preacher, as worship leaders, because if we're not spending time with God like we're supposed to, then when we come in to do these acts of worship, they're not really acts of worship. They're just stuff that we're doing. Had a, a, a situation, and Miss Connie, I'll appreciate this. I, I thought about it today I've just out of the blue. As, as I've told you guys, when I'm preparing sometimes and, and praying, God reminds me of things that I had not remembered in a long, long time. Long, long time ago. I mean, like many moons ago, <laughs> when my kids were were still real small summer wasn't even here yet of our family we uh... And it consisted of richard and carolyn and me and connie and, and and all of her sisters well we had we got together like on friday nights i, I worked at the locomotive shop at the time and connie was teaching school but when i got off got off of work we would all meet down at mr reed miss linda's house Connie played the bass guitar. I I played the acoustic. Richard Gill, y'all know him. He played the banjo. Uh, Carolyn played the mandolin. And everybody else just kind of sung. And we would gather up in the living room, and we would play and and sing music. Had a ball doing it. We'd order pizzas and things of that nature. Had a good time doing it. And then one day, we kind of got the crazy idea, you know, we don't sound terrible. Maybe we ought to sing at church, you know, that kind of stuff. And that was a brave move. Well, we did that at a couple of different places at the church that we attended and the church that uh, other family members attended. Well, then work, and, and it, it was going good. God was really blessing. And then one day a church outside of Nehana, which I couldn't even tell you the name of now, I had forgotten it, they were having a Saturday evening sing. And they wanted to know if, if we would come and sing. We were honored. We were like, yes, we would love to do that. They were having barbecue afterwards, which was a clincher. You know, you have a barbecue, we're coming. And so we went. And we got there a couple of hours before it started, and we were the only ones singing that day. There was a couple more in the church that was going to sing, but we were like the main thing. And we had, um, we had sung at the house that week leading up to it. Everything was good. And we walked in. I'll never forget this. If you've ever had a God moment, you know when, when God shows up. We walked in on that Saturday evening at this little country church. We set up our... our our amp there for the bass, and Richard got his banjo tuned up. I pulled out my guitar, and Caroline got her mandolin and got all the microphones set up, and we was in there, and it sounded horrible. I mean, absolutely horrible. It was the most awful thing. My cat couldn't have got his tail hung in a fan and made a worse noise than what we made. We couldn't get in tune with each other because we just walked right in, put our instruments on and said, go. And it was kind of like we were out of rhythm. I mean, it was like, what in the world? We were like looking at each other going, it didn't sound like this at the house the last three months. What is wrong with us? We were discouraged. We just all took our instruments, all propped them up and said, y'all take 10. You know, we just all walked outside. And I looked at Connie. I said, "Man, that sounded terrible." And Richard was feeling the same way. Carolyn, we didn't know what to do. We came back in, and we just we just decided we weren't going to play again until it was time for church, which was a very brave move. Okay, knowing how it just sounded, we weren't sure how it was going to go. But I remember we gathered in the back prior to our time, and here's something we had not done. Anybody want to tell me what it was? We didn't pray. We just cut right to the worship like we possessed that, like we, like we could just make it happen. And we realized, God, we left you completely out of that. It was all about us. And I remember we gathered, and we just, man, we poured our hearts out and said, God, we are so sorry. We went right from being honored that you would ask us to come sing to, look, we're going to sing. It's kind of like we didn't need God at all. We're just going to do it. And we realized, God, we didn't mean to, but we, we overstepped our bounds. And we gathered, and we prayed, and we poured our hearts out to God, and we said, Lord, you know what? Regardless of what it sounds like, if you get the glory and you get the honor, that's all we care about. We care about nothing else. And if we never sing again, that's fine. But you get the honor, and you get the glory. And I remember when we walked out there, and when I put that guitar step over my shoulder, I was almost scared to strum. I thought, Lord, I don't know what it's going to sound like, because it sounded awful earlier and I remember when that first note hit, we all was like, together. And I remember we'd done about six or seven songs. And when we got done, this is how we all looked. We all had big eyes. And we put our instruments up, and we walked out of there, and we were all like, wow. God sat down in that place that day. We worshiped. It was the, probably the best we'd ever played together. I don't know what it sounded like to everybody else, but to us, it worked. And we walked out of there and we knew God, that's what can happen when we glorify you with what you've given us. But we have no ability within ourselves, none whatsoever. And so that was a God moment. But if, listen, if we ever, ever leave God out of anything that we're doing, ever leave God out of any of that, any of our ministries, we have no ministry without God. David thought he was the king of of Israel there. But he was only the king because of God. God had put him in that position, and he left God completely out of what he was doing. If we ever leave God out of what we're doing, we can't expect blessings. All we can expect is failure, and that's what David got. Now notice here the third point, and I'm done. Notice the delight of David when he did it God's way. The delight of David. So we've got, remember, just a recap, point one was what? The disobedience, the D word that caused David to miss the blessings of God. Two was the deception of David's heart to think that God would bless his mess. And the third point was the delight of David when he did it God's way. Notice the latter half of verse 12 there. The first half was that he found out there in verse 12, the first half of it that Obed-Edom had been blessed. And so the latter half of verse 12 says, So David went and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with gladness. And so it was when those bearing the ark of the Lord had gone six paces that he sacrificed oxen and fatted sheep. Then David danced before the Lord with all his might, and David was wearing a linen ephod, which is a garment, a priestly garment of worship there. Now, again, remember in 1 Chronicles 15, we read that this morning, I won't read it to you again, referenced it a while ago, that David says over there that he figured out why. He was not being blessed. He did it the wrong way. Then he got the priests there to carry the Ark of the Covenant with the poles on their shoulders as God had told him to. And listen, notice what happens. When David did it the right way, what does the Bible say? He was a man full of joy, basically. That's why he danced. He was full of joy. Why? Because he was obedient. When we're obedient to the things of God, God fills our hearts with joy. And it can be in the simplest things of obedience. It's not like it's got to be some big thing just the smallest steps of obedience will bring blessings to our hearts because why we're right with god when david danced that day before all the people remember we preached a sermon the other day where his wife looked at him and i love the fact that the bible references uh michael here not as david's wife but as saul's daughter why because she acted like her father but it says that she looked here and didn't think you looked very keenly. But can I tell you something? When you're right with God and you're living your, your life like you're supposed to in such a way to please God, you don't care what anybody else thinks, okay? That's another thing that goes wrong with being in step with God is you're not worried about what they think. Why? Because you know that the God of heaven is pleased with the life that you're trying to live. And David didn't care. When we're obedient to God, listen, we're free to worship, we're free to sing, we're free to dance. And I'm going to conclude with this thought. And I'm just going to reiterate something I said this morning because it's worth repeating. Is God really serious about the little stuff? Yes. The smallest details of our Christian life He is concerned about. The small, small, simple steps. And, and I thought about this as I was studying earlier is that even salvation, if we take that, Christians are called Narrow-minded because we believe there's only one way to get to God, only one way to get to heaven, and that's through Jesus Christ. The world calls us narrow-minded. But what's funny about that, and here's it's really comical if you think about it, we believe that the only way to be right with God is to be, to be born again through Jesus Christ. And when we say that, people go, well, what a narrow-minded thing. You're thinking that the only way to get to God is to go through Jesus. Yes, I do. Listen, how did you get into this world? Think about it. You came one way. One way. Somebody had to give birth to you. You had a mama. That's the only way you... So why Why is it so inconceivable that God has one way for you to get into this life and only one way to get into e- eternal life? Think about it. Somebody says, well, you know, well, I won't chase that rabbit. i will take us another 20 minutes. Of course, it's raining. Y'all can't leave yet anyway, right? So maybe I'll chase that rabbit. But... Wh- if people want to think I'm narrow-minded, so be it. You can only be born physically one way. You can only be born spiritually one way, and that's through Jesus Christ. I like the song, while to go, give me Jesus. That's all we need is Jesus and I. Nothing else matters. But listen, as I'm getting ready to close, God is always working around us. He's always wanting to work in us. He wants to use us to reach this community and to reach this world for Jesus Christ. But He won't use dirty vessels. Please note that. He won't use dirty vessels. He won't use me if I dabble in sin, and He won't use you if you dabble in sin. God wants to use clean vessels, people who are trying to live their lives for Jesus so that He can be glorified through us, and He gets all the glory. Church, tonight, if we are dabbling in sin... Again, I said that this morning. I'll say it again. We have a tendency as Christians to classify sins. We have a tendency to think little sins and big sins. Well, I'm not doing that. I'm not as bad as that person is. This really isn't hurting anybody. Understand, the Bible sees sin as sin. Straight across the board. No bigs, no littles. It's sin. If we're doing anything that's displeasing to God, it is a sin. And we need to get it out of our lives. A little sin will grow up to be a big sin, and it'll turn into a a bad habit. And before long, it will separate us in our relationship with God. Oh, we may still be saved, but we won't be living for God like we're supposed to because we'll be a slave to that sin. God saved us so we didn't have to be a slave to sin. We could be free from those sins, and we could live for Him. So tonight, as our ladies get ready to come and lead us in our invitation tonight, in this time of decision, I pray that you would seek God out and just ask Him, Lord, is there anything in my life that's hindering my walk with You? And whatever it is, God, help me to, help me to get that out of my life and to live for You in such a way that You'd be pleased. So let us pray tonight. Father God, I just come to You tonight, Lord, and I, I, God, I'm so thankful that You... God, you can take our blunders and you can turn them back into blessings. God, how if we would just realize tonight our mistakes, if we would realize, God, how we have failed you. God, how, we have, how we've missed you. And God, and just get those things right before you tonight. God, we need you in our lives. I'm so mindful all the time, God, of how you don't need me, but I need you. And God, tonight I'm also a mindful, Lord, that I can't dabble in sin. I can't do the things that that I want to do and be pleasing to you, Father. It's not possible. God, my life has got to be laid at your feet for you to use however you see fit. And God, I want to be blessed. I want to be a blessing to others. God, I want want to please you with my life. So God, I pray that tonight for me, God, if there's anything in my life that doesn't need to be there, Lord Jesus, I pray you would help me to remove that. And sometimes I think we get so comfortable with sin that sometimes we forget how damaging certain things can be for us. So, Lord, I pray you would bring that to to our recognition tonight, Lord, to our memory, to our attention, so that we might get rid of it. So, Lord Jesus, I pray that this time would be honoring and glorifying to you. And I pray this tonight in Jesus' name. Amen. If you would, please stand.
1: Our invitation dies. Jesus shed His blood for me.
0: Appreciate your presence and your prayers today. Don't forget women's Bible study tomorrow night at six thirty.